Well, today we are finishing our series um, called The Kingdom. We've been walking through uh, three of the most significant chapters in the scriptures, Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7, as we've been looking at Jesus' words on the Sermon of the Mount. And I'm very excited that Brian Steele, who spoke with us a couple months ago, our student ministries pastor, is coming back to do it again, and I think you're going to love his story and how God uses just wonderful things to transform. So will you please warmly welcome with me Brian Steele. <laughs> Twenty-one years ago, I was sitting in my uncle's living room. My family was there, and three strangers that I didn't know, two of them were big guys. The windows had been nailed shut. Furniture was moved in front of the doorways. The phones were removed, like all of the sharps were taken from the kitchen. My wallet, my keys, my shoes were taken. My parents said, Brian... We love you, and we want you to listen to somebody who's going to talk to you about a church that you're involved with, and it's a cult, and you need to listen. And for about an hour, I listened, and then I needed to go to the bathroom, and then big guy number one got in front of me, and big guy number two got behind me, and they escorted me to the bathroom, and then they escorted me back, and I wanted to run And I wanted to flee, and I thought that my faith was under attack, and this is like Satan coming after me. My parents said, you're going to stay here and listen to this man that we've hired, because you're in danger. And it took about a week, and I was at my uncle's house for a week. But the years that I was involved in this cult had taken my my thinking, my critical thinking ability, and shrank it practically to nothing, and it took that long for me to start thinking and realizing what I was in. I was like a fish that had bitten a hook, thinking it was a delicious fly. Over the course of the years that I was there, I lived with the group. I obeyed practically everything that they said. I was in like almost complete submission to the authority of the leaders there. But here's the thing, it was like a normal, it didn't look weird. We read from the Bible, we had worship, we had messages. It wasn't like we shaved our heads and dressed in, you know, robes and danced in drum circles or any weird stuff like that. By the way, that's embarrassing right here, but that's my... <laughs> uh, we weren't fed cyanide and Kool-Aid. In fact, I met Jesus while I was in the group. I grew to love the Bible I kind of learned how to preach a little bit. We did a lot of traditional Christian activities, but the leader of the group was a wolf in sheep's clothing. I don't know if you've heard that expression before, but it looked like one thing on the outside, but inside was different. And the church ultimately was destructive to hundreds, if not thousands of people as they were scattered in their little assemblies throughout the world. I ended up in Bellingham because the cult was sending me to Western Washington University to recruit college students for the new branch that was opening up in Linwood. It was almost like I was going to be the wolf in sheep's clothing. And so, and I was so convinced that this is the Lord's will for my life, I was so fully bought into the lie. And it seemed so right. I was so certain it was God's will. So my bags were packed. The car was loaded. I was driving north from Santa Barbara 
to Bellingham when I get a call from my parents and they said, hey, Brian, you want to just stop by your uncle's house and help us move some furniture? And then the intervention began. After realizing uh, what I was involved with and I realized that I was in a cult, I went to a, a rehabilitation center in Ohio called Wellspring. And they counsel cult victims from all over the world and it's an amazing place and there's a lot of baggage that comes with spiritual abuse. It's psychological, it's emotional, it's spiritual. And I had to unpack all of that baggage and, and it was a place of brokenness in my life. But then I, I got back on my feet and I got healthy. And then a year later, I got to return to Wellspring and I got to work there. And then I started soaking up as much information as I could about cults and spiritual abuse and about deceptive practices. And... Then when I came back to Bellingham, instead of recruiting people at Western Washington for the cult, I was teaching cult education classes to high school uh, youth groups and in schools and in churches. And how's that for the Lord taking a crummy situation and just turning it around? Yeah. <laughs> but the, there's brokenness in my life that came from spiritual abuse and so this week's message is important, and this week we're concluding the Sermon on the Mount series about the kingdom, and we've been three months studying the kingdom. But Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount with a warning. He says, beware. But why is the warning needed? It's because there's convincing counterfeits. And so he says, beware, look out, be on your guard, be watchful. And it's because the kingdom of God has convincing counterfeits. And it's possible for you to be utterly convinced and completely bought into a fraud. And great counterfeits, they have all of the elements of a real deal, right? So everybody in, in all of your programs, I have put a $50 Monopoly bill. Could you take that out and look at it really quick? This is a horrible counterfeit, right? Like, uh, nobody's going nobody's gonna to buy this. If I walked with a stack of these to go buy a car, it's not going to work. But good counterfeits aren't made with construction paper and crayons. And so I'm going to ask that every single one of you, when you leave today, you put this in your wallet because I'm going to make this piece of paper the most valuable thing in your wallet. Let's get into the text, but I want to start with a little bit of background first. Just to remember that the whole context of the Sermon on the Mount is the kingdom, the kingdom of God. But Jesus gives warning. And last week, Pastor Derek was, uh, was preaching about entering through the narrow gate. And that's actually the first warning in the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And this week, Jesus, we're going to see, is giving three additional warnings about counterfeit prophets and counterfeit disciples and a counterfeit foundation for your life. But remember, too, that... The very first people that Jesus was talking to about the Sermon on the Mount was not us. 
This wasn't first spoken to us. This was first spoken to his disciples, the 12 people who knew him the very most, the people that walked with him and ate with him and and laughed with him and spent all of their time with him. And Jesus thought they needed a warning. And if they need a warning, how much more so do we need a warning 2,000 years later? And remember, too, that among the 12 that were present when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, one was a wolf in sheep's clothing. His betrayer was there. I'm not trying to scare you, and I'm not going to be sensationalistic, but there is a seriousness and a sobriety that needs to come when we're dealing with the kingdom of God and with our place in the kingdom. We're actually vulnerable in four areas, and I want to take a look at that. The reason why we need the warning is because we're, we're vulnerable in four areas. And first, we have a, a strong enemy. And the enemy of our souls is bent on undermining the kingdom of God. And so, the kingdom of the enemy has this array of, of, of powers of darkness, has the allure of worldly possessions, thousands of years of practice, and is a great counterfeiter. So the apostle apostle Peter warns us like this. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So not only do we have a strong enemy, but the counterfeits are convincing. They're good counterfeits. It's very good counterfeit. Even like signs and miracles and wonders can be replicated. So Jesus warns even later on, he says there's going to be many false Christs. And remember, he's talking to his disciples first, the ones who knew him and saw him face to face. And they needed the warning. So some things to keep in mind. Signs, wonders, and miracles do not authenticate a ministry or a leader because they can be counterfeited. Using the name of Jesus does not authenticate a ministry or a leader because that name can be abused. There's also an allure and an attraction to false leaders. Like, the the leader that I followed in the cult wasn't like this this horrible dude, he, he had an attraction to him, a charisma. And Jesus says many times that people are going to be led astray. That means they're not being shoved from behind, but they're going to willingly follow the false leader. It's like a Pied Piper. And deception is strong because it's alluring, it's attractive, it's desirable. I want you to picture, close your eyes, picture right now a delicious cake that just came out of the oven. I want you to see it, and it's been decorated, and it smells fantastic, and your mouth is watering, and it looks so good. You even take a bite, and it's so delicious, but inside that cake is a little bit of poison. Not enough to even tell, but enough to do the job. And that's the power of the counterfeit. And lies can be sweet and delicious for a moment. 
So we have strong enemy, there's convincing counterfeits, but, but even just like we live in a broken world and we're broken and this makes us weak. And every one of us is weak at different points in our lives and if you're going to chart our lives, it goes like this. And if we get hit right there, we're vulnerable. At the wrong time in our life, we can be the most vulnerable. And, and cults and counterfeits feed off of people in vulnerable situations. This is why college campuses are prime recruiting grounds for cults. Because you have people, they're moved out on their own and they're young and they're vulnerable and they're socially isolated and their identity isn't formed yet. And they may be even questioning, is this faith real? Is it mine? I don't know. And people are social animals. They need social affection. So that vulnerable person then, when, when a group or a counterfeit or a cult comes up and starts giving them what seems to be love and acceptance and a purpose, we're vulnerable. And there was somebody in the group that I was with who lost every single one of his family members in the span of a year to different reasons they died. And he was crushed. And he got recruited because the cult offered him love what seemed to be love. So the brokenness in this world makes us weak. But then <laughs> the other thing is we just have deceitful and sinful hearts. Our own hearts are deceitful. And this is a bummer, but it's just true and reality. Like, the basic plot line of most Hollywood movies is follow your heart. And this is a terrible idea. If your heart is the only compass that you have, it's not going to go well for you. We need something more than the compass of just our heart. The prophet Jeremiah, he wraps it up perfectly. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So please, please, please do not follow your heart as the only source of direction. In fact, we're given a brain as a check on our heart. Let's dig into now to the parts of the Sermon on the Mount. And there's the four warnings. The first uh, is what Pastor Derek talked about last week. We're just going to cover it really briefly by way of review. It's uh, it's in Matthew 7, 13, and the first warning is beware of the counterfeit gate. And Jesus says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And the true gate is narrow, which means it's only through Jesus can you enter the kingdom of God. And you're living in a counterfeit kingdom. If anybody other than Jesus is ruling and reigning your kingdom. Even in Christian churches, it's possible for human leadership to take the place of Jesus. Or we substitute things for the rule of Jesus in our life so we can allow our job to become king or maybe it's money or maybe it's sex or maybe it's approval or maybe it's sports or maybe you want to become famous or maybe it's any, there's a million things that can replace Jesus as king in your life. There's one true king and a million counterfeits. 
even ministry for the Lord can take the place of Jesus. But you've, you know you've entered the narrow kingdom gate if Jesus alone is ruling and reigning supremely in your life. Second warning is beware of the counterfeit prophets. And every kingdom has ambassadors and representatives, and the Lord has given us his prophets and his ambassadors and representatives, and the words are recorded here. But there's counterfeit ambassadors and counterfeit prophets and counterfeit representatives of the counterfeit kingdom. And so we read in Matthew 7, 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. And he's not just warning about wolves, he's warning about ravenous wolves. Like their appetite for the enemy to, to destroy is, is never satisfied. Therefore, we have a need for constant vigilance. So myself, I love carne asada burritos. I have a ravenous appetite for carne asada burritos. Like, I may have just eaten a five-course meal, but if I'm driving by and there's a taco truck, I'm like pulling in because anybody else? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but our enemy is ravenous. His appetite is never satisfied. He never pushes away from the table and says, that's it. I'm done. The enemy is like an addict who always needs more and another hit and is never satisfied and his appetite for destruction doesn't end. But it's not just a ravenous wolf. It gets worse, I'm sorry. It's wolf in sheep's clothing so they look good. They look like one of the flock. They look like us. They look good, they sound good, they use the Bible maybe, they maybe have Christian trappings, maybe they're in a Christian building, maybe they wear the cross, maybe they even invoke the name of Jesus. And the problem is not just that they're wolves, but they're ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing. True prophets bear good fruits in their life. And so we're commanded in the scripture over and over and over again to test, to test prophets, to test teachers. If somebody says, I've had a prophecy, the first thing that you should say is, let's line it up. We're going to test that. And you're not going to offend Todd or Grant or Derek or myself or any other teacher who... Uh, if you take our words and you're comparing them and weighing them and measuring them against Scripture, that's not offensive to us. You're doing your job. I'd like you to close your eyes one more time. I want to paint another picture for you. I want you to picture a harbor. And I want you to picture a small boat on that harbor. And now see in your mind a storm that's like raging against this boat. And there's winds that are pushing against it. And the waves are trying to crash this boat against the rocks. And I want you to picture like the nastiest rock and cliffs. And this storm is trying to destroy the boat. And now in your mind I want you to picture the one thing that's saving it. And it's an anchor. And it's holding it against the storm. 
And our anchor is the Bible. It's what keeps us from being bashed against the rock. Now, here's the thing. It's not enough just to have an anchor. If you're in a boat and you just chuck an anchor out and there's no chain attached to it, it doesn't do you any good. So you need a chain to go with the anchor. (laughs) The problem is we replace the chain with rubber bands. And if you don't know how to properly interpret Scripture, there's a whole art and science of interpreting Scripture. If you're not handling Scripture well, then you're replacing one of the links in the chain with the rubber band. And yes, there's a right and a wrong way to read Scripture. The word is called hermeneutics. It's a big word. Basically, it comes from the Greek god Hermes. And it's the job of Hermes to deliver the message from the gods of Olympus down to the mortals on earth. And so when we talk about having good biblical hermeneutics, it means how do you get the message from God in the Bible into our hearts and into our lives? And if you don't know that word, you need to understand how to properly interpret Scripture. The second link in the chain is the Lord has given us the Holy Spirit. And if you're trying to read Scripture while you're grieving the Spirit at the same time or the Spirit isn't living in you, then you're not going to get it and you've replaced another link with a a rubber band. And the third link in the chain is, is community. And if you're trying to understand what's happening in Scripture, but you're living all by yourself and you're not connected vibrantly to community, then that's a rubber band in the link. And it's not enough just to have an anchor. Like in the, in the cult that I was in, we read the Bible all the stinking time. More than I read it now, we are always reading it. So we had the anchor, but we were sloppy with the text. We didn't understand how to handle it properly. The teachers were horrible teachers. We were cramming meaning into the scripture that did not belong there. So we had the anchor, but we weren't connected with the chain And there's ruin that comes from that. So in your outline, I've provided eight passages that is uh, uh, really like encouragements from Scripture to be good students of the Word and to be aware of false teachers. And I'm going to ask you, please, 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 would you go home and study these scriptures this week? Would you please do that? If you agree to do that, would you just kind of nod your hand like this? I think it's a sign for yes. Is that right? Yes. All right. Thank you. It looks funny from up here too. Uh, It's great. (laughs) Um, Please do that. We have to take testing prophets seriously. The third warning is beware against counterfeit disciples. So we're going to pick this up in Matthew 7, 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works and wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
And this passage used to give me chills because I was afraid that I was going to be the one that comes to Jesus and then he turns his back on me. But if you truly love Jesus, I want you to rest assured this isn't talking about you. The warning, on the other hand, though, is for the ones that are just attending church as the formality or going through emotion or doing some sort of religious duty out of tradition. You might even be going to great lengths to, um, to appear good before other people. And if that's you, you're in jeopardy. And the Lord might say, I never knew you. The true disciples don't just sound godly, they obey the will of God. So Jesus, when he's teaching his disciples, they said, teach us how to pray. He's like, all right, this is how you pray. You pray, your kingdom come, Father. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you can pray that in faith or you can pray that in routine. And there was a large portion of my life where I prayed the Lord's Prayer as a routine. Our Father, how in heaven, how will be our name, it can become your will be done on earth as in heaven. Like, it didn't mean anything. I was saying the words, but it was routine. And I'm hoping that's not you. Okay, let's take a little break and a little breather because it's a little bit intense and a little bit heavy. <laughs> and I acknowledge that. And, and you might even be saying like, hey, this kingdom of God is good news. So why, why are we getting so intense with all the warnings right now? Like, shouldn't we be ending the sermon series on like an upbeat note? And it kind of seems like we should, but here's the thing. We're ending the sermon series the same way that Jesus ended the Sermon on the Mount. And it wasn't until I prepared this message that I realized, oh, he kind of ends it on this serious, intense note. Because he knows there's a counterfeit kingdom that's going to wage war against his kingdom when he leaves. He knows it. In fact, Judas, the betrayer, the wolf in sheep's clothing, was probably close enough when he preached this message, Jesus could have smelled lamb on his breath. So we come to the fourth and final warning. And it's beware of the counterfeit foundations. So in Matthew 7, 24, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell. The floods came. The winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So before I came to Christ the King as a pastor, I was a, a professional geologist. It was my job to evaluate like foundations for different buildings and check the ground before like the road or the building or the bridge went in. And so I spent 15 years as a geotechnical consultant. So I know something about bad foundations. And one in particular, it was this huge condominium project in Mount Vernon, and they're getting ready to pour their first concrete foundation, and so they called us in to check the ground to make sure it was good. 
and the forms were set, the concrete forms, the rebar was in place, they're going to pour the concrete the next day, and so I need to evaluate it. So I have this little metal rod, and it looks great. From the surface, it looks great. But then I start poking around, and my metal probe goes, bunk, and kind of sinks. And then we start digging and scratching, and there's 15 feet of garbage fill beneath this foundation. It looked fine from the surface. Below was rotten. A true kingdom foundation requires hearing and doing the words of the king. And Jesus is giving this warning because people can build their entire lives on a crummy foundation. They can work and live and love and play and dream. They can succeed. But unless you hear the words and do the words of Jesus, then your fall is going to be great. The counterfeit kingdom looks amazing from the outside. In fact, it's so convincing that there's some people that don't even think the kingdom of God is real. They think the kingdom of God is the counterfeit. But it's the work you do in obedience to Jesus that's going to endure. So let's conclude. Can everybody pull this out one more time? This is where I make this piece of paper the most valuable piece of paper in your wallet, and I'm going to ask that you carry this with you. And here's how it goes. Uh, On the outside, this looks worthless, right? (laughs) It's Monopoly money. It's clearly a counterfeit. If I go to pay uh, for a car with a stack of these 50s, it's not going well for me. It's not a valid currency. But this does have valid uh, worth and value when you're playing the game of Monopoly, right? When you're playing, you're getting after this. In fact, when you get this cash, if you land on free parking, you just got the whole pile of cash, you're actually stoked because it has value in the game. So then you go and you buy your property and you put your houses on there and you are king of the world because this has temporary value. But then as soon as the game ends, in an instant, it loses value. In a heartbeat, when the game ends, this is worthless. And in the counterfeit kingdom, the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of our enemy, it may seem like you're collecting and gathering, and the money of this world and the the things of this world for a time have temporary value. If it's part of the counterfeit kingdom and that's the only thing that you're building your life on, The game is going to end, and everything that you thought had value is suddenly worthless in the eternal kingdom of God. And so if you use this, and it's in your wallet, and every time you see it, and it reminds you of what's true and eternal value, this is going to be worth more than anything that you own. If you use this to beware of counterfeits, this is going to be worth more than anything in your bank account. And the encouragement is that Jesus has a kingdom for you that's eternal. And it's possible in this life 
to do things in His name, and you may be working the same job, but if you start doing that job in His name or going to school in the name of Jesus and, and building on a foundation in obedience to Him, then you're dealing in a currency that has eternal value and worth. This is good news, but there is a warning that's needed. There is counterfeits. So let's conclude in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're not just leaving us to the wolves in sheep's clothing, but you've given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us the Word of God. You've given us a community in your church. I'm praying for the people here, and, and there may have been some here who've who are still wrecked and ruined because they've gone through spiritual abuse. Would you comfort them? Would you bring them wise counselors? Would you bring them to a place of healing? Lord, I'm praying for the people here who are building their entire lives on a crummy foundation. Would you wake them up and show them what's truly of value? Show them the eternal kingdom of God. So they can hear the words of Jesus and do them. Lord, we love you. We want to honor you. We want, to, we want our lives to be of eternal worth. And so we pray, our Father in heaven, that your kingdom would come. And your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.